Have you ever been asked to do something difficult? I, I think a lot of us have, yeah. Um, maybe you were hired on at a new job and given the job description, and it's just absolutely overwhelming. Or maybe your boss sits you down in her office and tells you about the new project she's dreamed up, and you're in charge. Students, uh, maybe your teacher gives you an assignment that seems impossible. The question that we all have at some point, as we're looking at this difficult thing that we've been handed, how do I do this? How do I do this? Sometimes we aren't told how. Or sometimes we're not given very clear instructions. Uh, regardless of the reason why, maybe a negligent boss, an understaffed environment, uh, a teaching tool, he'll, he'll learn as he goes, or a growing opportunity, uh, whatever it is, it makes what we're asked to do seem way harder if we're not given clear instructions. On the flip side, if we're asked to do something really difficult and we're told how, it gives us more confidence in what we're doing. I got to take a lot of trips down to Mexico in high school to build houses. And I liked it so much that even after I graduated from high school, I, I kept coming down. Uh, I kept coming uh, to, to build houses and, and get to enjoy uh, these opportunities. And after a couple years, they said, Ben, we need someone to lead one of these sites. Like we're building 20 different houses. We need you to be in charge of one of these sites. Difficult task. Okay, sure. And I'd seen other people build, but like now I'm in, in charge? Yeah, sure, sign me up, you know. Um, I didn't know the word no at that point. And so I signed up, and thankfully, by the grace of God or either by my dad's arm wrestling, I got the site right next to him. So he's building here, and I'm building here. I was probably over at his site about five or six times a day. Dad, how do you do this? Dad, when you come up to this, Dad, what about, you know, like, he was really in charge of two sites. That was what was really happening, but I was just like his voice on the other site. But it was good to have someone that helped me with the how. In our passage today, we are asked to do something difficult. And we are given some answers to how to do what we're asked. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 13. A uh, little hard to see. Maybe we can get the lights on. That would be great. Romans chapter 13. Yeah, let's get those lights on. And we're going to read Romans 13, the last four verses. Besides this, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than, we, than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. 
but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Now, this is part of our series in Romans that we're going through called Colossal Truth. And we've uh, divided it into four sections as we've been going. And uh, these words are up on the walls around you. Uh, ruin, redemption, rejection, and then responsibility. And we are in the responsibility section. And we're looking at the responsibilities we have as followers of Jesus. In this whole section of Romans, we are asked to do a lot. A lot of difficult things. And this passage is no exception. Summing up this passage, we are told to walk in the daylight. Walk in the daylight. Now, some of you are going, oh, that's why the lights were off at first. Good job. Give yourself a gold star. Uh, That was intentional. (laughs) In this passage, as in many others, Paul uses this light versus dark language. In 2 Corinthians 6, he says, Don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness? In Ephesians 5.8, he says, At one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. In Colossians 1, he says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. And in 1 Thessalonians 5, he says, for you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. The darkness is a life apart from Christ, a life lived in sin. And the light is a life full of Jesus, a life in the Lord, sharing in the inheritance of the saints. So that's what Paul means when he says, wake from sleep. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. Let us walk properly as in the daytime. Walk in Jesus. But how? How do we do this? Let's dive in to our passage together, beginning with prayer. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity we have just to dive in, to have instruction, to have direction, to have your words tangible that we can look at, that we can read, that we can study, that we can soak in, that we can meditate on, that we can continue to come back to, that's here to guide us and direct us. And God, as we dive into your word this morning, we need to hear from you. As we just sang, we live for you. We live for you. So God, help us to do that today as we soak in your word. Amen. All right, so let's dive into this passage. It begins with this little transition phrase. It says, besides this. So this connects to uh, the previous passage that we were looking at. 
that Dave spoke on. Uh, if you look in, maybe you have an NIV or an NASB uh, or an NKJV, it would say, do this. And that's the, the conjunction. So, so here's how it's connecting to that last passage. In the previous few sentences, as Dave preached on last week, we are told to love. This uh, transition and this passage gives us urgency in doing so. It's like Paul is saying, love each other, but don't dilly-dally. Get going. Time to be different. To love the way God wants you to love. With those as our marching orders, here's how to walk in the daylight. Let me first point out, as we dive in, as we're talking about things we need to do, let me point out that none of this is doable on our own. We are given plenty of things to do, but we need the Holy Spirit to be able to do any of this. So bathe everything we talk about with reliance on God. Really important to start with that as we dive in and talk about our responsibility. Is that anything that we're doing is by God's grace and by God's strength. So how do we walk in the daylight? First, we walk with hope. We walk with hope. Verse 11 says that salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Uh, If you're taking notes, this is your first blank to fill in. I'm also going to be putting lots of verses up on the screen, most of which we'll get into, but some of which we'll just look at briefly, uh, and some of which you'll dive more into in your community groups. So, as we're going, be sure to jot those down uh, for further review later. Before we dive into the hope of this passage, I need to clarify one part. It says salvation is nearer than when we first believed. But how is salvation nearer? How is it not here yet? Some of you might be thinking, I thought salvation was this one-time deal. So how can salvation be nearer, not here yet? Well, if we look through scripture, we actually see salvation in all three tenses. Salvation is something that is completed. Salvation is something that is continuing. And salvation is something that is coming. Salvation completed. We see that in Ephesians 2.8. It says, for by grace you have been saved. Done. In Luke chapter 19, Jesus is talking to Zacchaeus and he says, salvation has come to this house. And in Acts 16.31, Paul says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. It's a, it's a one-time deal. It's completed. So is salvation a finished work? Yes, absolutely. But we also see in Scripture salvation continuing as a continuing work. In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 and 2, it says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. And so there you have a process. Philippians 2.12, it says, to work out your own salvation. So yes, salvation is a one-time deal, but it is also a continuing process. 
Is salvation a finished work? Yes. Is salvation a continuing work? Yes. But then we also have salvation coming. 1 Peter 1.9, it says, Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And here in verse 11, we have that salvation is nearer. So is salvation a future work? Yes. I know this might be confusing a little bit. Uh, I'm just finished reading this book called 50 Reasons Why Jesus Came to Die by John Piper. And he sums it up really well. He says, At every stage we are saved by the death of Christ. In the past, once for all, our sins were paid for by Christ himself. We were justified by faith alone. In the present, the death of Christ secures the power of God's Spirit to save us progressively from the domination and contamination of sin. And in the future, it will be the blood of Christ poured out on the cross that protects us from the wrath of God and brings us to perfection and joy. So salvation is something completed. Salvation is something that's continuing. And salvation is something that is coming. So here, as Paul is talking about salvation as a future work, he points out that it is nearer than when we first believed. In other words, every day gets us closer to the ultimate joy, the final completion of our salvation. And he puts that in to give the Romans hope, to give his readers hope. Hey, salvation is coming. Keep going. When you're in the midst of a difficult task, hope can get you going in a powerful way. I grew up going backpacking. Every summer, my dad would uh, take me out backpacking. And honesty time, I was a complainer. I was. (laughs) Uh, We'd get out there and we'd be hiking for about 10 minutes. I'm tired. Are we there yet? Can you carry my backpack? I know you're carrying all of our food and the tent, but I'm tired. Whine, whine, whine. I'd complain. And my dad, one of the most patient people that I know. Hey, we're a lot farther now than when we started. You know, Ben, we're 10 steps farther than the last time you complained. We're getting closer. And he'd keep reminding me of that, keep pointing me forwards. Ben, we're only this far away. Now we're only this far away. We're making progress. And when I got out of my complaining mindset and actually focused on how close we were getting, that pushed me forward. That gave me that hope that I needed to keep going. Would you agree that it's not getting any easier to walk the way Jesus would want us to walk? Day by day, it's getting more and more difficult. But the Bible is filled with hope for us as believers. In your CGs, you'll get to dive into the hope offered in Scripture. Let it encourage and strengthen you. So how do we walk? We walk with hope. Having hope makes it easier to walk in the daylight. 
So Paul starts there, but then he gets to the more tangible aspects of walking in the daylight. First, he tells us to leave the darkness. Leave the darkness. Verse 12, he says, the night is far gone. Verse 12, he also says, cast off the works of darkness. Verse 13, he gives us this list, not in drunkenness, orgies, on and on he goes. In verse 14, he says, make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Paul gives us a tangible definition of how this looks. We are to cast off sin. We are to cast off darkness. So if this is my darkness, and please don't come up to me weeks down the road like, Ben, you're wearing your darkness. Um, This is a nice and comfy sweatshirt. Uh, (laughs) But if this is my darkness, my selfish desires, my own way of living, I am told to cast it off, to leave it behind, to leave it behind. Keep that picture in mind as we dive in. How do we do this? How do we leave the darkness? First, we expose the darkness. Verse 12 says to cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. I love that. The armor of light. We'll talk more about that armor in a few minutes, but I love how the armor, the thing protecting you is light. Light exposes the darkness. Let's look at two other passages that speak into this. They're up on the screen. If you want to flip there, great. If you want to sit and listen, that works as well. Ephesians 5 says this. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Expose is in there twice. The word visible is in there twice. The word light is in there twice. We are to expose the darkness. Things in secret are shameful. At the end of this passage, it says, Christ will shine on you. If you're walking in the light, this is comforting. If you're walking in darkness, this should scare you. Christ will shine on you, will expose the darkness. And then in John chapter 3, Jesus says this to Nicodemus. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come 
to the light, lest his works should be exposed. Does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. We have the word light four more times. We have the word exposed again. But I'm struck by verse 20. Everyone who does wicked things hates the light. A couple years ago, um, there was a hack on this website uh, called Ashley Madison. And Ashley Madison was this website where you could sign up and secretly have an affair. And it would connect you with someone else that was interested in secretly having an affair. And the website was hacked, and they gathered all this user data and threatened to put all that data out there unless Ashley Madison pulled down their site. Ashley Madison did not. And so the names of millions of people that had signed up for their site, now their names were out in the light and exposed. And boy, did it cause train wreck after train wreck. Broken relationship after broken relationship. Heartache after heartache because now their darkness was exposed. But for some, it was exactly what they needed. To get it out in the light. Bring your darkness into the light. Yes, there's a time and place for exposing the darkness of others in order to help them. But we all need to begin with exposing our own darkness. Matthew 7, Jesus says, How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? Hilarious visual image, by the way. But we bring our darkness to light by confessing to a trusted brother or sister in Christ. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says it this way in his book, Life Together. Who can give us the certainty that in the confession and the forgiveness of our sins, we are not dealing with ourselves, but with the living God? God gives us this certainty through our brother. Our brother breaks the circle of self-deception. A man who confesses his sins in the presence of a brother knows that he is no longer alone with himself. He experiences the presence of God in the reality of the other person. As long as I am by myself in the confession of my sins, everything remains in the dark. But in the presence of a brother, the sin has to be brought into the light. Has to be brought into the light. Let me ask you this. Have you been carrying a sin? Struggling with it for too long? Time to bring it in the light. Some of you are squirming in your seat right now. You know what you need to bring into the light. It's a terrifying first step because, as Jesus said, people love the darkness. But there is such healing in bringing things into the light. Time after time in my own life, the first step toward overcoming habitual sin was sharing with someone I loved that could guide me in the right direction. 
Let me just pause and pray over those of you that need to bring something into the light. God, it's a terrifying first step because by our own nature, we love the darkness. We love to keep the stuff that we're ashamed of, the stuff that we're not proud of, hidden. We don't want other people to see our deepest sin. But God, you call us to bring it out into the light so that it's exposed. Because in reality, there's nothing that's hidden from you. But God, for us to take those steps to start walking forward in newness of life, we need to bring those pieces of darkness out into the light. God, for those that have been struggling with something and just haven't brought it up to somebody else, I pray that you would give them the courage to do so. That this week, you would give them the courage to bring it into the light and find the first steps towards healing and towards wholeness. In Jesus' name, amen. Expose the darkness. So now that you've exposed the darkness, to continue to leave it behind, you need to starve the darkness. Verse 14, it says, Make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. The things that are fed are the things that grow. Feed your relationship with Jesus, and it grows. Feed your relationship with your spouse, or your parents, or your friend, and it grows. Feed your laziness. And it grows. Feed your selfishness. And it grows. Feed your sin. And it grows. In James, it says this. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. There's a process in this sin. Sin needs to be fed, fed by our desires. That's where it begins. And if we continue to feed it, it grows. Sin, death. The process is stopped when we don't feed those desires. So let me ask you this. What do you need to remove to keep from feeding those desires. It's not always obvious. Maybe you need to cut out certain types of movies. Maybe you need to limit your internet usage. Maybe you need to limit your tech usage in general. Maybe you need to stop hanging out with certain people. Sometimes we need to take drastic steps to starve the darkness. Joseph fled from Potiphar's wife. In Genesis 39, it says, he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. Yeah, I know it's my job to be here. I know I'm supposed to be here working and doing things, but it is not worth it. It's not worth my job to stay in this situation. I'm gone. And he fled. 
First Corinthians 6.18, we're told to flee from sexual immorality. First Corinthians 10.14, flee from idolatry. First Timothy 6.11, as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Second Timothy 2.22, flee youthful passions. What drastic steps do you need to take? How will you starve the darkness? Earlier in Romans, we read in Romans chapter 6, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Starve the darkness. In conjunction with exposing and starving the darkness, you need to walk properly. Paul gives us a list of sins not to walk in. Back in our passage, in verse 13, it says, Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in, here's the list, orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. The list starts off on the easy. Let us not walk in orgies. Yes, doing good, drunkenness. Sexual immorality. Sensuality. Quarreling. Let's not walk in quarreling. Let's not walk in jealousy. Did he get you? Gets pretty hard pretty quick. Now, Paul uses these lists fairly often. They're a good guide of what not to do. But it's so easy to get pharisaical about these things. You could work on avoiding all the evils on these lists. Yeah, I I wasn't jealous today. I didn't quarrel today. Great. Good job. You know, uh, you you can work really hard on avoiding the evils. But that's not the point of these lists. That's not what God wants us to do. Piper says, Christian purity is not the mere avoidance of evil, but rather the pursuit of good. Christian purity is not the mere avoidance of evil, but the pursuit of good. Paul says it this way in verse 9, which we just went through last week. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The more you focus on the true light, the more you live for him in his way, the less your flesh will win. I learned a long time ago in a child development class that I took that it's more receptive to put rules in the positive than in the negative. Instead of telling people what not to do, tell people what to do. This, of course, is rooted in Jesus' instruction to us. Matthew 22, Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. We don't need to focus on what not to do. The Pharisees did that. And they were called out by Jesus. They're called whitewashed tombs. 
we need to focus on what to do. Walk properly. So we need to leave the darkness, expose it, starve it, walk properly. All three of these are summed up by Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, which says, Therefore we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, laying it aside, casting it off, exposing, starving the darkness. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, walking properly. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Look at Jesus. The more your eyes are fixed on him, the less you're distracted by whatever else is around. So how do we walk in the daylight? We walk with hope. We leave the darkness, and finally, we get dressed. We get dressed. Twice in this passage, we're told to put on something. First, we're told to put on armor. Verse 12, it says, put on the armor of light. There's a couple other times that Paul talks about this this visual image of of putting on uh, armor, of getting ready. In 2 Corinthians, he says, he's talking about how they are true ministers of the gospel with weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. And then, of course, the passage that we're so familiar with in Ephesians uh, chapter 6, verses 11 to 18, dives deeper into this armor, talking about different pieces, how they help you. Dive into this more on your own or in your community group. It's part of one of the questions. You can also go back and listen to the three sermons that Dave talked about uh, as we went through uh, our series on Ephesians. But like I said, I love that we are to put on the armor of light. Armor is put on to protect, to shield from attack, to prevent wounds, injury, or death. And what does that for the believer? Light. So you are protected when you bring things to light. Walking in the daylight protects you from the darkness. It protects you from spiritual death. Now, who is that light? That light, of course, is Jesus. In John 1, we're told, in the beginning was the word. And in verses 4 and 5, we're told, in him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has overcome it. So, putting on the armor of light is really putting on Jesus. And we're told this in our passage in verse 14. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. This is your identity. This is what team you're on. We talk about this in baptism class. Galatians 3.27 says, For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. When you get baptized, you are showing others what team you're on, who you belong to. But we need to continue to put him on every day. So that is why here we are told to put on Jesus. As believers, we need to get dressed with Jesus every day. 
This is fantastic for those of you that are visual learners. I love the picture of putting something on every day. The goal is that people see what I'm wearing. And if I'm putting on Jesus, then that's what they should see. Right? I get dressed thinking about how other people are going to see what I'm wearing. So if I'm putting on Jesus, I want them to see Jesus. Ephesians 4 says it this way. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through the deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. The new self is created after the likeness of God. People should see Jesus when they look at me, when they look at you. Are you showing people yourself? Or are you showing them Jesus? So we're to walk in the daylight. How? We walk with hope. We leave the darkness, exposing it and starving it while walking properly. And we get dressed, putting on our armor, putting on Jesus. As we've been going through this series, we've been ending with what God does and what we do. Looking at both. Because as we walk forward in our Christian life, Yes, there's responsibilities that we have, but yes, there's God working as well. So what does God do? Well, first, God works through us. I was just reading in, this, uh, in Joshua this morning. Joshua 23.10 says this, One man of you puts to fight a thousand, since it is the Lord your God who fights for you just as he promised you. It's God who fights for you. I love that. 1 Corinthians 15.10 says, But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. This isn't our doing. We don't get the credit. We are not capable on our own of any righteousness. So yes, we're given marching orders. We're giving this difficult task to do. But as we're doing it, it's not us that's doing it, but it's God that is doing it through us. So what does God do? He works through us. What else? He leads by example. He leads by example. Not only has he given us his word as a guide, but in Jesus he has shown us how to live. And thirdly, what God does, he gives us hope. Over and over in scripture, he gives us hope. Jesus, as he's about to leave, he gives his disciples hope. And what do we do? We expose the darkness. We starve the flesh. 
and we put on Jesus Christ daily. One of my commentaries put it this way, and I just loved it and wanted to share it with you. If, however, this putting on of Christ is done in a spirit of complacency, as though a life of godliness and uprightness will automatically follow, disappointment will result. The redeemed person must be attuned to the Savior. He must exercise ceaseless vigilance, lest the flesh prevail. He must not give thought to how the desires of the old nature can be satisfied. He must be attuned to the Savior. Dial in to Jesus, but expose the darkness, starve the flesh, and put on Jesus daily. Lord, um, none of this is doable apart from you. None of it. I can do none of this on my own. But yet if I sit back in my easy chair saying, okay, God, take care of it, I'm missing the point entirely. For you've called us to action. You've called us to be new, to be transformed, to be changed, to have a new self. We're dead to sin. How can we live in it any longer? God, help us to focus on you. It's your work. It's your breath that's in our lungs. It's you that pushes us forward day after day. We love you, Lord. Amen.